0: Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message
1: is an encouragement to you. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, please. We're going to jump right in here this morning. Grab your Bibles, and we're going to the Gospel of John. Go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, again, we welcome those who may be first time visiting with us or you are new, Uh, glad you are here. There are notes, I see some are maybe grabbing the notes, QR code here, you can get the notes so that you can have them in front of you, Uh, saves you maybe having to take a picture of all the slides, however, those slides are pretty amazing. We have our famed student working with us this summer, and she puts all the graphics together. We're going to so miss Ore when she heads off to university, but in the meantime, we're enjoying her graphics. Uh, Always amazed at where she gets those graphics from. So, John chapter 10. Jesus is speaking here. Let's follow in the words of Christ. My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Oh, I love that part. I'm gonna read that one again. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Praise the Lord. Verse 29, my Father has given them to me, is greater than all, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I, Jesus said, and the Father are one. We made mention a couple of weeks ago, Jesus clearly, over and over, claimed that he was the Son of God, the only way to eternal life, the only way. And John, over and over, makes that so crystal clear. So we're on a journey following John to the heart of Jesus. Why? Because John lives a life of passion and vivaciousness in his faith. One who really struggled. We're going to look at the struggles. He struggled with some big stuff. And yet, here you see him passionate towards Jesus. Last week, if you were joining us Uh, we talked about how John kept referring over and over that he's the one who Jesus loved. And he, in turn, had this relationship with Jesus that developed over time. He had lots of time to develop it. Unlike some of the other disciples where they were short-lived and some of them because their lives were taken, John was able to live to a good, ripe, old age. And in that time, he would write The the gospel, the letters, and the revelation. And in that time, he is letting us in on this deep relationship he had with Jesus. And so why are we studying John? We're studying John because from him we learn lessons, things maybe pitfalls to avoid when it comes to following Jesus. And so, therefore, we are in this journey. If you haven't uh, been following us, we encourage you to go back. It's on the website, auroracornerstone.ca, and you can track with us on this journey. Today, I want to talk about John is addressing the issue of being positioned with Christ. Let's just open our hearts to the Lord in prayer. So, Father, we just we just at this moment recognize it's not the words that will change lives. It's not somebody somebody's even preaching that will change lives. It's by your Spirit. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to... Speak to us through your scripture. That our hearts would be drawn as John's was to know you in a much greater way. Grant that we ask in Jesus' name. And if that's your prayer, would you say amen? Let it be, Lord. I want to begin by going to Dr. Luke. And so go with me to chapter 9 of Luke. We're going to go to Luke chapter 9. And Luke begins to make reference of these back to back situations referencing John Luke is talking about John and this recording of chapter 9 in Luke is in the same chapter that is one of the great, one of the great chapters of the transfiguration if you know that expression transfiguration is where Peter James and John with Jesus were up on this hill and they had this encounter where they saw Moses, they saw Elijah, a voice from heaven. It was just an amazing encounter. I mean, Peter wanted to stay there and never come down off the mountain. And it was an incredible, incredible epiphany for all of these guys and their experience in a moment with Jesus. In the same chapter, I see some of the greatest shortcomings. Why is that in life? That when there's some of the greatest blessings and advances... We are also tend to be on the precip of some of the greatest shortcomings and some of the greatest temptations. So we're going to follow. So this is right in the same chapter where there was the recording of the transfiguration. Let's pick up. There's three scenes. I'm doing a bunch of snapshots here today. Let's grab these three scenes. Luke identifies them. Luke chapter 9, verse 46. And I'm going to refer to them in baseball. I I tend to follow baseball, professional baseball, and Something the umpire. I think they enjoy doing this. Umpires enjoy, you know, strike one, strike two, strike three. And what happens after strike three? You tell me. You're out. You're, and what's the thumb? You're out. And I think they enjoy that part. I really do. Actually, I think I'd enjoy that part of the game too. If I was the umpire, that part. You're out. You know, just do, they, they're so flamboyant when they do it too. It's like you know, the whole world's gonna see you out of here, right? You know, when they get a great hit, the umpire's not standing there clapping. But boy, when you get out, the umpire gets excited. I, I, I never quite figured that out. But anyway, let's keep going. Luke chapter 9, let's pick it up. Luke is talking about this. 46. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Now, if I even just pause there, did you just hear what was said? An argument among the disciples, these are the big 12. Who's best? Okay, 47. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Jesus and a little child. Then he said to them, the disciples, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who's the greatest. And I think when Jesus said that, I imagine he probably, it is the one who is least among you all, I imagine he just reached over and put his hand on the shoulder of the little one. It is the one who is the least of you all who's the greatest. So John is numbered in the 12 disciples. Did you get the first verse? We An argument. They're arguing among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. John, strike one, you didn't do well here. Then the story continues. Dr. Luke continues to tell the story. Let's pick it up, verse 49. John told the master, Jesus. John tells Jesus, Jesus, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him. Because he, catch this, he's not one of us. Oh, John, strike two. Not going well for you today. We saw a man driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. And Jesus forbade them to not stop such men. For whoever is not against you is for you, Jesus said. Straight two. Continues. The next few verses, 51 on down, 55. John and his brother James... They weren't feeling very welcome. They were feeling that people were not appreciating their giftings. People didn't appreciate who they were and what they had been doing. They felt unappreciated. And so we picked this up in verse 54 John, uh, or Luke 9, actually, Luke 9, 51 to 55, but in, in 54, 55. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. So the disciples, John and James, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven? That's harsh. Now, i got to admit it. There are times when I've been driving, and there's an idiot Hopefully not me at that moment. Who I thought of it, but I hope it never goes beyond that. There are times when we might think, "Oh, you know, don't let them get away with it." And that's basically what John was saying. Lord, they don't appreciate us. Lord, is it okay if we call fire down from heaven? Oh, I, I laugh when I read this. I I think we ought to I, shake our head. What are you going to do with that? Uh, Sometimes I wonder why God doesn't give up on us when we demonstrate these attitudes. John was not doing well in this text. I am so grateful that God is both nearsighted and farsighted. God is nearsighted. He knows my every thought. He knows my every action. He sees every detail. That can be disconcerting at times, but he he sees it all he he knows me he cares for me i'm also thankful he's farsighted farsighted enough that he knows that the stupid things i'm doing now i can do better he knows that he created something greater and if i would rise up to what he's created if i would rise up to how he has molded me and planned me and has planned my life i can be better so aren't you glad god is both near sighted he sees everything He's your friend, but he is also far because he knows you can do better. And in this story, it would have been so easy if, if Jesus was that umpire in the baseball game, he would have said, You're out, three strikes, one after the other, you're out. But he didn't do that. You see that in this this early place of John's life, John is evidencing his juvenile behavior. And we are all there. We've all been there. Maybe we're there today. But there needs to be the growing in the things of the Lord so that we grow out of the juvenile behavior and grow in the things of Christ. So let's grab the next text. Would you go with me to Mark? We're going to go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We're going to pick it up in verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Hey, now do you see where this is going again? James, John, sons of Zebedee, this is John. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I can picture Jesus with a smirk on his face asking, and what is it you want me to do for you? 37, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. basically, Verse 35, John is saying, Jesus, we want you to do what we ask. Now the audacity to even say that to Jesus is staggering right here. And Jesus' answer, verse 38, you don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And the next two words identify how just Childish they are. They said, we can. We can. After Christ said, can you drink of the cup of which I'm baptized? Can you? And they, oh, sure we can, flippantly, without hesitation. We can. Having no idea what that meant. They weren't even off the bottle, let alone to be drinking the cup of Jesus. You know what we're saying? They were still nursing, let alone drinking the cup of suffering and humility that would totally demolish their pride. But they thought they could. You know, sometimes I wonder if we don't try to downsize Jesus too much. We want to downsize him. Uh, I've often made reference, it's Jesus in a bottle. You know, you rub the bottle. Jesus, I need you to do this for me. Well, how come you didn't do it? Jesus, how come you're doing that? Jesus, why did you do that? Jesus, and with that, we, we, we rub our little bottle, not, not literally, but figuratively, kind of like this. Lord, uh, we want you to do what we ask. Even to start off that way is all wrong. It's all wrong. You're talking to the one who spoke the universe into being, and now you've just asked him to do what you want him to do. You kind of got this thing reversed. He's not there to serve you. We are here to serve him. I'm here to serve the Lord. What is your will? Somewhere in the Lord's prayer, it says, not my will, but yours. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as you've designed in it. him. It didn't say the other way around. Lord, may your kingdom bring about what my will is. Sometimes we think, and James and John had this idea, that if they got up in their tippy toes, maybe they could be at the same level of Jesus. We could be at the same level. And there's something that as we grow in faith, again, we're following John to the heart of Jesus. John is he's early. He's, he's, not, he's got a lot of pride. He's got a lot of John in him that has to be worked out. He has to go through some humiliation. He has to go through some life experiences. He has to experience what it is. That life doesn't center around him. It doesn't center around what he wants. It centers around the Lord. And beloved, I think one of the greatest things, Jesus is our friend. We sing the song, I'm a friend of God. But really, before I think we sing that song, we should first sing the song, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because in the place of his holiness, then it undoes me when I realize he reaches out to me and says, and I call you friend. But not the other way around. Not like he's my bosom buddy and we're doing things together. And and I can call on him and I expect him, like John and James, I expect him to fulfill my, my wants in life. John is growing up. He's coming off the bottle here and he's growing into an adult but he is still very juvenile at this point. I'm convinced if we really got the concept of being chosen and called by Jesus Christ, the divine son of God, that we like the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 2 verse 1, that we would fall on our faces before him if we truly grasped he has chosen you And called you. And when we truly begin to grasp that, we don't feel higher. We feel humbled in his presence. Honored before him. Well, let's pick John up a few months later. John maybe now has graduated from the school of adolescence. He's growing into manhood, spiritual manhood. That's the journey we are needing to take. We pick it up in Acts chapter 3. He's a bit older now. We're going to go to verse 2, Acts 3, 2. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. Oh, what a story. You have to love this story. When you have in this chapter of Scripture, what we have here is we have a pair of mighty fine servants of God, Peter and John. There has been a transformation at work in their life. And this is where we ought to, this is where I ought to be. This is where John's calling us. If you want to get to the heart of Jesus, look at this story carefully. Again, the same person who wrote Luke 9 wrote this in Acts 3. Luke wrote this. And he's now describing some people who are growing up now. I want to share just a few highlights quickly about this scene. Number one, Peter and John now understood what it was to be spiritual. They weren't so busy getting to a prayer meeting that they missed the significance that at Beautiful Gate, called Gate Beautiful, at Beautiful Gate, there was a need they needed to tend to. They're on their way to a prayer meeting, but there's a need. How often that we are projected towards whatever that next great spiritual event is, but there are these moments where God is putting right in front of me. It can be your family member, it can be somebody at work, it can be a neighbor somewhere. A moment where God has placed someone before you. I'm very conscious of that, and I pray I become more conscious of that. But even here at the church, we are right beside the gardens next door. We don't own those gardens next door. The town does, and people have plots, and they can go, and they can harvest vegetables if they work the land. They are allotted areas. But even this past week, Pastor Brett and I became highly aware, as did already, too, working here at the church, That there was a situation arose, a need arose, and while that need arose, it provided an opportunity. You see, we were here doing church ministry, but a ministry was happening right there where a family was in need and a great opportunity for us to connect with somebody in a very beautiful way. But sometimes we're on the way to the great event, and we miss the moments on the way. John didn't. He's growing up a little bit. No longer is he asking to be the greatest. No longer is he saying, Lord, you know, can you do anything I ask? He's not calling down fire from heaven today. No, he sees a need at the gate to the great place of worship. But this person couldn't get there. There was a need right here. And they engaged in their need. Uh, They looked at the beggar. And we have this very clear dialogue that Luke portrays to us. Several things come out of this. Number one, we are told the man was crippled from birth. In the literal Greek, it actually means from the womb. He's never walked. Secondly, we are also told he was taken to the temple every day. His identity was a beggar. That's all his identity ever was. He was every day. His life consisted of being taken to the temple and no doubt somewhere later from the temple. He was not a man of means. He did not have servants serving him. There were people out of the compassion of their heart brought this man to this place because it was a high traffic area. And he was anticipating his his needs were that if somebody was stirred by God, surely they would be stirred to help him too. So he stayed at the gate to solicit finances to live by, the means to live by. That was his identity. He probably was not a person, we even get this in the story, when Peter said, would you, would you look at me? Because typically they would look down. They would make eye contact with you, as do those today who often are reaching out for a need. They will quickly make eye contact, and then they will look down. It's that posture of, I'm unworthy to ask this, but would you help me? They looked up and then looked down. Look up and looked down. And Peter, when he turned aside, both John and Peter, they, they squared off. They noticed him. And in noticing him, in looking at this man, Peter made comment, he said, "Look up. Look at me." It wasn't derogative. it was it's okay. Look at me. I want to talk to not just a person, a body, a person who's lame. I want to talk to a man. I want to talk to a soul here. Look at me." And the two engaged. The man looked up, and they engaged eye to eye. I want to draw your attention to the first point here is they understood. They understood this was a spiritual moment. You see, the man was looking that day for holy enablement. But Peter and John were about to introduce him to the holy healer. He wanted to be enabled, but they were about to show him there's a healer present right now. I don't know if you've ever begged for something that in retrospect you realized that had you received it, it would have kept you in your crippled condition. Had the man received what he asked for, and it's not that his, his request was wrong, but if that's all he ever got, he's going to have to go back tomorrow and beg again. And sometimes in our situation, when we beg God for things, when we come before him, can we have faith that he's not just an enabler, he's a healer? There can be something greater in that moment, and they recognize it. second thing I want to share is Peter and John gave what they had. I like the words, the King James version here. It says, "Silver and gold." Peter says, "Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk." It's got a poetic rhythm to that. I like it in that version. And I guess here's the point: God will never ask us to give what you don't already have. So you say, "Well, I haven't got anything to offer kids' camp. All of us do. He's not asking you for something you don't have. He's simply asking you what you have. Will you give it? It's all. And then watch what he does with it. Too many times we disqualify ourselves. No, I have nothing to offer. Then he can't do anything with it. Versus, well, here's me. Here's what I have. And that's what Peter and John, we don't have what you asked for, they said. But here's what we do have. Here's what we do have. Somehow I'm relieved by that assurance. He never asked for something I don't have. So don't try to be what you're not. Simply go and do what you know right now to do. Don't be something different. What you presently know, you have enough to do it. Praise God. Boy, I get excited about that. Number three, I want to drink, bring observation. Peter took him by the hand, the Bible says helped him up. Now we know the expression. There's something more than a hand out. We need to get a hand up. And so there wasn't a hand out that day. There was a hand up that day. When they looked the man in the eye and they had that engagement, they were speaking with compassion. Sir, I don't have what you ask, but there's something else I can give you. His name is the Christ Jesus. Him, if you have him, So much in life changes. To me, the tender representation here is that Peter offered the man a handful of faith. He reached out and Peter, he didn't say, okay, get up and walk. Instead, what did Peter do? He reached out and said, take my hand. The Bible says he took him by the right hand, probably his predominant hand. Took him by the right hand. Here, take my hand. Now together, faith, together, together. Get up. Let's get up. And the man rose to his feet. What a beautiful story. He got to his feet, crippled all his life. What reason did he have to believe he could be healed? He was nothing in his eyes. All he thought he wanted was a little money that day. When the beggar grabbed onto Peter's hand, Bible says strength came to him. His confidence rose up. Faith, it's called faith, began to rise up. In one class, Peter offered a handful of faith and that's all he needed. To get to his feet. A handful of faith. Oh, maybe grab a hold of that one. I like that. A handful of faith. May I help give you a handful of faith today? A handful of faith. To get to your feet on something. A handful of faith is what he offered. And then the beggar came to his feet. Tin cup probably. Tumbled down off of his lap. Tumbled down the steps. He doesn't need the tin cup anymore. I could only imagine the expression on his face and everybody. Because everybody knew this guy. As he began to move around on those atrophied legs of his. And soon strength came. Supernatural strength. People watching him. Look at this man. He's not looking for that tin cup to be filled. He's got something else. Jesus has just done something. And the crowd goes ecstatic. And the whole next chapter. It was a whole set of new problems for the community. People who didn't like to see this. It was his past that made his present so miraculous. I have a question. Have you ever have you ever witnessed a truly lame person walk for the first time? Not many of us have, if any, have witnessed, truly witnessed a lame person, a true lame person walk for the first time. A number of years ago, Lori and I went to a conference, revival conference in Buffalo at the Tabernacle of Tommy Reed's Church. When we were there at this conference, these set of meetings, they had a guest who actually it was her home church as a guest singer. Her name was Delia Knox. She was a twin, identical twin. She was about 21, 22 years of age. And when she was a teenager, she had been in a near fatal car accident and it left her crippled for the rest of her life. So she was introduced as the singer that day and, and so she went up onto the platform and she sang the song Alabaster Box. Anybody know that song? Now, I've heard the song before, but I had never witnessed the song. It's one thing to hear a song. It's another thing to witness a song. She got up on the platform. It was a massive platform, big church, mega church, big platform. She began to sing Alabaster Box. And I wept. I wept. Probably, I know Lori, we both probably left. She rolled on her wheelchair back and forth in that platform. If you didn't know her legs didn't work, you would have thought she was running back and forth in that platform as she as she sang the song. It was Amazing, I'd never seen anything like it. The joy and the exuberance and the faith that flowed out of her reached out. I could feel her handful of faith touching me that day back about the 20th row back as she sang Alabaster Box back and forth. Went home to my church. I prayed to the Lord and within the year contacted Delia. Said, Delia, come to my church. We need a handful of faith from you. And so she came to our church. She spent the day with us. We, when, and she shared her story. We had to, Four men had to pick her up in her wheelchair, set her onto the platform, and then she rolled back and forth. She witnessed. She sang. place was packed. We spent the day with Delia. She's in her wheelchair, but you wouldn't know it by the way she sang. It was a few years later, somebody threw me the link because they knew we knew Delia. And we watched a link It was a YouTube link, and it was a service down in Alabama at Pastor John Kilpatrick's church. Again, we were familiar with John Kilpatrick. He's prayed for us back in the days of the Brownsville Revival. And at his church, he had an evangelist and had an altar call, and there was Delia in her wheelchair at the front of that church. We watched as she got up out of her chair, and she began to walk. Wow, did we rejoice. We know her. We know her. We've been with her. We've heard her story. We prayed with her. She prayed with us. She gave us, in our walking state, handfuls of faith that we needed at that time of our ministry. She began to walk. It's a tremendous story. matter of fact, it went on to CBN, Christian Broadcast Network, and they did a clip, a five-minute clip. Would you like to see it? Okay, let's watch it. There's a whole
2: lot that I don't recall specifically, but I know this, and the vehicle was upside down, and they were trying to get me out, and there was music playing in my head.
3: On a snowy Christmas day in 1987, Dahlia Knox was in a car with her sister and brother-in-law when they were hit by a drunk driver. I was
2: semi-conscious, then I went unconscious. And so then I woke up in the hospital.
3: Although the others escaped with minor injuries, the crash left Dahlia paralyzed from the waist down. Doctors told her she would likely be confined to a wheelchair the rest of her life.
0: From there on, I had to, I mean, I went through, like, what do I do from here now? Where do I go from here?
3: Dahlia was determined to live her life. An accomplished gospel singer, she continued her work in music ministry. But her life was hard.
2: I would continue to go and sing. And I would push myself, you know, into the restroom or the shower, whatever. And then I would drag myself into the car, and I would push myself. It was one of those things where you had to drag yourself. You had to push yourself.
3: Dahlia believed God would heal her as people prayed constantly for her. But after a decade passed with no changes, she started to lose hope.
2: I didn't like going to altar calls because every time I would go somewhere, the service would change to a healing service and somebody would try to pull me out of the chair and I've been plopped dropped, flopped and flipped and you know to the point where I was like I just can't go through that anymore
3: while attending a Christian conference she was captivated by one of the speakers Bishop Levi Knox
2: it was so amazing because he didn't see the wheelchair he saw beyond the wheelchair
3: he later became her husband and a major source of inspiration for Dahlia.
2: I remember him taking me in front of the mirror at home um, and holding me up and, and just say, I want you to see yourself standing. He would take me and dance with me and just, you know, as my legs would dangle, he would take me around. And He was one that always continuously tried to put hope and faith in me as to think beyond that, even though at times I was frustrated about it.
3: By 2010, Dahlia had been in a wheelchair for over 22 years. In August, she and her husband attended a conference hosted by evangelist Nathan Morris.
2: The evangelist went up and he started speaking on healing and all that. Had I known it was a healing service, I have to be honest, I would have
0: never gone.
3: She was at the front of the church with her husband when Pastor Morris started praying for her.
0: Here I am confined for 22 and a half years. In this wheelchair, and for the first time in the longest time, I find myself that something could possibly really be happening. I said, "I'm feeling something in my legs." The power of God is all over this sister right now. She normally has no feelings, but she she can feel our hands on her, her hands on her legs. And she's had no... I had to get to the heart of it. And the heart of it was, are you willing to risk your pride and take a step of faith, even if you fall?
3: With the assistance of her husband, Elia slowly rose. She later stumbled and sat back down, fighting to block out the doubts flooding her mind.
0: I remember the words that he prayed were, let faith arise in this woman of God. In Hebrews 11, faith, is in the present, in the now. It, it's standing between two present
2: terms. Now faith is. And I sat there, and a righteous indignation came in me. A righteous anger came in me. I just said to them, I just said, just worship, just worship, just worship, because I wanted to drown everything that was going out. out, out. I just, just worship, just right, worship, worship, worship.
3: Then her husband and Pastor Morris helped her back on her feet. She took a few steps on her own. Then, as the congregation sang and prayed, Delia started walking around the church.
0: Paraplegians will tell you that you can move on your hips. And so I thought, was I moving on my hips? I just started moving my knees up and down, and I started bouncing on my knees. It was like the awakening. This is really happening.
1: She began to take those steps and began to walk. It was like the Word the word that had already been spoken, uh, beholding the word, uh, hearing the word, and now the manifestation of the promises of God was being fulfilled right before our eyes. It was phenomenal, it was was life-changing
3: for us. Over the following weeks, she says God began to strengthen her legs. Three weeks later, she walked in front of her own congregation for the first time. Today, Dahlia leads worship at Living Word Christian Church in Mobile where her husband is the pastor. She also dances with him every chance she gets.
2: The miracle is the journey, is not the moment. It's the journey of recognizing who God is. If he would have never healed me, I would still be pushing through to get into his face. Because it's not about the healing, it's about the journey of knowing that God is there for us
1: Did you catch what she had said there earlier the thing that was holding her back was remember her phrase where she was asking herself that question on that day would have been the I'm sure the same idea before the the lame man on gate beautiful Are you willing to risk your pride and take a step of faith even if you fall? Wow, that's a good word. Are you willing to risk your pride and take a step of faith even if you fall? And Delia is one of the most powerful worship people I know who loves the presence of the Lord. Did you catch her closing remark? I recorded it for us here where she said, what is the miracle? She said, the miracle is the journey, not the moment, but the journey of recognizing who God is. If he would have never healed me, she said, I would still be pushing through to get into his face. It's not about the healing, but the journey of knowing that God is there for us. Which takes me to my last point to close. Following John to the heart of Jesus. Peter and John, they took no credit for this miracle. This man got up and he began to walk. Praising God. A beloved, miracles are not from us. They're not from evangelists. They're not from faith crusades. Miracles are from God. And I put my faith and trust. Miracles are from God. For the likes of cripples like you and I. And someone here today, I'm going to suggest, you've been begging God for the trivial things like silver and gold. You know, we beg for a little bit of change, but maybe we need faith so that we are changed. So let's not beg for the little things. A blessing here, a blessing there, that should be the overflow. Oh, may the faith that we need today, may we grab a hold of a handful of faith that we be transformed into the image of our God. So, he doesn't throw us out after three strikes. We merely start to grow up after three strikes. If you've had your three strikes, been there, done it, still do. If you had your three strikes, let's grow. Let's not seek the holy enabler. Let's seek the holy healer who offers us as he reaches out, take my hand. The faith that you have is all I'm asking to believe for an encounter with God as John would experience that day. Giving all the glory and honor to him.